will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Welcome to Leverage Addicts, the podcast for investors looking to maximize returns through leverage. Join host, seasoned mortgage professional and real estate enthusiast, Blandon Lerm, as we explore property investing strategies and learn how to navigate the market to build new wealth. What's going on, Leverage Addicts? It's Blandon here, and today we have another episode where we talk about properties. And sitting across me today is Hadley Nightingale. And he's from New Zealand Property Buyers, one of the few genuine buyer agencies, I would say, for investment properties in New Zealand. He's got a team of four and he's done over 200 transactions. And many of those are actually for our clients. He's the owner operator, still very hands-on with the deals for that premium results. And we are going to learn about why he got into that game and sort of why you would consider a buyer as agent, a bit about the strategy and the deals we have come across. And lastly, we're going to talk about some tips and tricks for newer property investors as well. Welcome, Hadley. Cool, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about what property buyer agent is. Yeah, so in terms of us and, and what we are as a property buyer's agent, as we go and we represent the buyer in the transaction, you get a, a lot of agents that sell houses to go, hey, look, we're a buyer's agent, we work with buyers, which is true. They do work with the buyers, but they're paid by the vendor at the end of the day. So what we do is, is we're paid by our clients to go out and get them the best result specific to what they're looking for, as opposed to trying to peddle our own stock, so to speak. So we have a, a wide variety of, of properties that we look for, wide variety of regions. I suppose the important thing for us is, is making sure that what we're buying for our clients is, is like genuinely right for them rather than just, you know, purchasing something because it's it's one of our listings. Because that's kind of unheard of because if you can just work with the agent direct, there's no fees at all. Like why would somebody pay you extra money just to help them buy a property? Yeah, great, great question. The thing with that is that the person that pays you is the person you work for at the, the end of the day. And it's probably one of the things that we see out in the market that's the most probably concerning to a degree is that people go out and they, they go and they want to buy their own property, which is great. But the first thing they go and tell an agent is, hey, look, I'm, I'm looking at this house. And don't get me wrong, I, I love sales agents, Russ. I'd be struggling to find a whole lot of deals. But they go to the agent, they go, oh, look, I really love this house. I, you know, my budget for this one's 600K. And the agent's working for the vendor here and they're going, okay, sweet, their budget's 600K. This house is probably worth 580, but they can go to 600. Awesome, so that's the step ahead. As opposed to us, you tell us your budget, our aim here is to get you the best house at the best possible price and saving you money rather than you know extracting every single cent you know, out of it that you can. And would you say typically this is a model for more first home buyers or investors? Like what kind of people are you working with most? Yeah, we generally tend to work with that uh, with investors for, for what we're doing. I think it's probably the services for more so for anyone that's that doesn't frequently purchase property. Or they're just, you know, they're sick of dealing with real estate agents. They're not quite sure what they're looking for. They're scared to make a mistake about what they're buying and just need some some solid advice rather than just going out there and, and hoping for the best and praying that what they get is the, the right thing for them. Yeah, and I guess just to share a bit about my experience as well, obviously, I don't want to set too high expectation because my deal was super awesome, I would say. It was a multi-unit, obviously, getting on with my day-to-day. -day. I mean, I look at Me, but obviously, I don't have time to make all those offers. Perhaps I don't know all the regions that well, which one is actually sell, selling at a good price. So Hadley went to find a property for me where I'm looking for 9 to 10% uh, return on the yield. 
And also I wanted to have social housing contract with this particular property so that I have tax deductibility. And so Hadley went out there and f found this property for me and it just fits the whole bill. Later on, when we actually rented it out to social housing, we got higher than what we expected as well. So that's why I was talking about that premium result because Hadley is very much hands-on with the day-to-day -day of the operations. I've got a, another question for you, Hadley. Can you maybe explain why you focus on finding high-yielding property at the moment, um, especially in the region, cities, and how do you actually go about it? Like, how do you identify them and what, what sort of approach do you take? Yeah, cool. So in, in terms of the high-yielding stuff, it's always been a, a philosophy and the philosophy that I was taught that you know, you want to build your base, a solid foundation, like in most things. And if you've got that sort of small, solid cash flow base, you can then afford to go and do some other stuff with more, that's more capital growth orientated. We find sort of most of our clients have got, you know, one, two, three properties looking to add another couple there, or they've bought a capital growth property at the start, and they're looking for some cash flow to top that up. So the, the other reason behind that too is that also with interest rates and the bit of the market that we're in at the moment, if we've got some cash flow and you have some stuff that happens in your life, then you've also got that you know, cash buffer there to help you out along the way. In terms of looking for them, sometimes they sit there in plain sight and sort of anyone can see them. The other thing that we do is most of the properties we purchase are sort of what can we do from a stage two perspective as opposed to... You know, the house looks like a house, but then what else is it that we can either, it doesn't necessarily need to be today, but what can we do in 12, 18 months time to go right at so 7 or 8% today, but when we do X to it, it's going to sort of up that. So it's about that that creativity sort of time in the, in the market, I suppose, is the other benefit too, that you see, you know, some things that other people just don't. And I like to expand on that side of things as well. With the higher yielding property, the bank tend to give you a bit more lending because when you're getting more rental income, the bank is allowing to, to have a bigger budget and that gives you more choice in the market. I guess the other positive is like, you don't really want to have a property that you have to chip in a whole bunch of money in. And I like the fact that you talk about the capital gains property because that's very much in line what we try to tell our clients. Hey, perhaps you'll have one property in the portfolio that has usually it won't be significant but there'll be more focus on like the future gains and because usually when you have development potential you might have a bit more capital gains in those properties in the long run and that has traditionally show that in historic data that we do get more capital gains if you can look at what sort of development potential it has and then just having that equity there then you could also use it to borrow money from the bank invest in properties and get a positive cash flow, meaning you make money on day one. And that's sort of what Hadley is talking about there. I thought maybe you could talk about a little bit of how you find these type of properties, like, or maybe, you know, we want to withhold some of the trade secrets, but yeah, perhaps you can walk us through, like, what, what's the process of finding these type of properties? Yeah, I suppose just the only other thing that's going to add to what you said before, right, just around the, the capital growth side of things. I tend to look at it as like a cash flow tightrope that you're trying to walk. There's a tightrope down the middle that's not necessarily hugely positive. It's not you know, necessarily hugely negative, but how do you get yourself down the tightrope so you can get yourself out the other end to your, where your result is and just that balancing act sort of between the two. In terms of finding them, it's super important to become an area expert in those particular areas that you're, that you're looking for property so that you know that if we're buying on this particular street, what's the street made up of? Is it somewhere where there's going to be future development potential? 
What's the district plan saying about it? Is it location needs to be the other really important thing as well? But if you're going into this with a bit of a sort of data to map, so to speak, of, hey, the yield looks really good on that property, we could go to Naseby in the South Island where there's a property on the market there with a like a 16% gross yield, but no one lives there. And it's been on the market for eight months now. Yield's great. But you've also got to look at those things around the demographics in the area itself and just having solid relationships with people and knowing that the people that you're talking to are going to give you honest advice. The other thing is too, in terms of us now, we've been around long enough that vendors come to us to get deals over the line. And then also to agents are also going, hey, look, we've done all these deals with you guys execute on them. We've got vendor X here who something's happened in their life or they don't want their property to go to market for whatever reason and they just come to match you know properties up so there's there's sort of a range of ways that we find them but we find probably the most important thing rather than where we get them from is what do the numbers say and does it work at the end of the day would you share a little bit about your agent relationships like this is something that's quite important to your business i believe how does that work so agent relationships, I suppose it's like in your relationship in life, you, you tell someone you're going to do it and you sort of, you, well, you need to deliver on that. So we've got like maybe one or two agents and all the different offices that we work with, regardless of who owns the listing, it's like our, our go-to person for that, that we can go, hey, look, we've had experience with this person. This is our, our client. This is what we're looking to do. They trust us. We trust them. Obviously, there's the gap there between you've got to do the best for your clients, but it's about trust and that respect that, that goes a long way. It's such a catchphrase with uh, you know a lot of people going, I oh, build relationships with agents, build relationships with agents. And then the off market deals will come well the, the thing is though it takes a long time for that yes. to happen yeah like it's it's this catchphrase that seems to be bantered around that you know go and take an agent for a coffee and they'll give you all the off-market deals <laughs> in the world but at the end of the day if you don't deliver yeah. or um and you haven't got a track record it just makes it that little bit harder so track record's key yeah because i guess to expand on that Yes, you can build a relationship, but at the end of the day, you're doing one to two transactions where a buyer's agent is constantly bringing buyers to the agents. That will obviously give you a better result in the long run because there is more transaction like money that way, you know? So interesting question I thought would be, how did you get into it? Why did you decide to do this and what was it that triggered you? So back in 2006, 2007, I bought a place myself, got a whole lot of advice around it. Turns out it wasn't really the best advice. And we all know what happened in 2008, 2009. And then sort of was in Aussie for 10 years, came back, got some mentoring around how to purchase property properly. And then when, while I was out in the market, there were noticed a whole lot of people that sort of were going to buy their first investment property, going to buy their first house. And they just, from my limited knowledge at that time, from the mentoring side of things, just had sort of limited idea about what was going on so that yeah there's no one that represents these people there's no one that sort of gives them the advice and there's just the agents going happy days i've got another negotiation against a, a first home buyer so it was that lack of representation that i thought right there needs to needs to be a bit of a change here we got investigating to how to do it a bit of a slow process to get started with the rea and everything else but we've uh, finally got there in the in the end which was uh, which is good so we've talked about the benefits and the upside. What about the downside? What are the potential challenges with working with a buyer's agent? So probably potential challenges that, that people have with us is more so around just potentially time. Sometimes we're super quick and we get a deal in a week and it's sorted and it's done. Other times it takes us a little bit longer. And the reason for that is, is I'm really, really careful about 
what we present to clients. I want to make sure that what we present you is, you know, up to scratch with exactly what you've asked for, rather than just sending you a deal every week and going, hey, buy this, hey, buy this, hey, buy this. Because in 12 months time, when you come back to me and go, hey, you know that deal that you bought me last year that you sold me on that was fantastic? Well, actually, this has happened to it. Yeah. Um, so I'd much rather take a little bit more time, practice a bit of patience and get people great results that they're stoked with than, than quick wins. That's good because I tell the clients a lot of the time as well, you don't have to do a deal every single month. You only have to do like one deal every two years to be really wealthy. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. If you do one good deal, and I think sometimes it does take a bit longer if you have certain criteria that you want to meet. And I know for a fact that Hadley does care to bring good results to the client as well. So what else? Is there anything else that we need to watch out for, especially if like, okay, Hadley, I'm considering two or three buyer's agents. What are the things that I need to maybe ask them or, or figure out? Yeah, so firstly, I, I check who's paying them is probably the, the, the one of the most important thing. It sort of goes back to what I said at the start. If someone's telling you they're a buyer's agent and there's no fees associated with it, I'd be finding out where they're getting paid or who's paying them. The second side of it too is just to get find out some of, some of their experience and what they've done personally. And then also to make sure they're licensed with that as well so that they're governed by the REA. That's really important for your own protection as well. And then probably the third thing is ask them for some references or who they've worked with, some recent deals, just so that you can see that in the market, they're doing some transactions That's and just good. verify what you're doing. Yeah. Client referrals as well. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps the second question I have here, well, I've asked you a few already, but um, this is a second big question. With the ongoing pandemic and economic uncertainty, what impact has it had on the property market and how have you adapted your property finding strategy? I suppose in terms of our property finding strategy, we've doubled down on sort of what I said at the start around the cash flow. So if we went back to 2021, we were sort of 7.5% you know, was where we were sitting, were, were like really hard to find, but that's where we needed to be to hedge ourselves should interest rates go to 5%. Whereas sort of like now we're, we're up to like 9% is where things need to sit from deals. So for us, it's been really important important to go right interest rates are here what where's our cash flow we keep pushing our boundaries out in terms of the yields that we're expecting but at the same time we've also had to sort of adapt with changes in tax rules and things like that and just being cognizant about what we're finding and what we're buying is it the best thing for our client and keeping that sort of client focus at the, the same time. What do you think have changed though is it just the interest rate or like do you feel like the pandemic has changed anything else in any way? I think from the, the pandemic perspective, everyone went mad. Like when it started, I I was of the, the opinion when the whole thing started that, right, we're about to have, that this is when our correction's going to happen. And then the market just went absolutely crazy. And so North. They, yeah. We were down to like 15,000 listings by November 21, which was... Uh, or 15,500, which was like the lowest ever. Then there was the changes in the banking with a triple CFA, which you know uh, a hang of a lot more than I do yeah. about. And then by February 22, we were up to like 32,000 listings in three months. So it's very much a buyer's market at the moment. Yeah. In saying that, the good deals, they're still, like for solid property, we've still got to move quickly to get them. Uh, last week, we were offer or a multi-offer situation for the first time in a while. So it's the Is occasion. Is it the Palmerston North one? Uh, another yeah. one that you're talking about. Uh, Palmerston North, yeah. When that deal is done, we're going to show you one time that's uh, amazing. Oh, deal. no, sorry. No, not that Not that deal. Uh, yeah, another one that we oh. have for another client. 
Uh, My bad. <laughs> and and pumps off. But no, that one will be a good one once once that's done. No, that's all good. And so how do you see the property market evolving in the next few years? Sort of where is it heading? What do you think investors should be aware of? It's always a hard one to crystal ball gaze around you know where we're going to be in 12 to 18 months time. It's I think it's really important to focus on where we are now and, and the things that we can sort of control. The things that we know about, there's population growth, the emergency housing waiting list is you know, 25 plus thousand. Regardless of what happens in the economy, what happens with jobs, there's still going to be people are, are defaulting on their mortgage Well, they're still going to need somewhere to rent. So provided your numbers, are, and these are the times where numbers cash flow become more important yeah to make sure that because if, if you lose your job at least you've got your properties that are looking after themselves but i don't housing's not going anywhere in a hurry we've still got a deficit in terms of builds in general i don't know what's going to happen with prices but we just need to buy for sort of where we are today i think it's it's good advice because what happens is obviously you have shortage of housing but we've also got a massive increase in consent but perhaps what's slowing us down is the infrastructure. We're not able to build as quickly as possible. The MDRS has, you know, more hearing to go through. And, you know, even my planner friend, I was just saying, even though MDRS is a good initiative, it's just almost not realistic for yeah. it to just be able to build um, so much. Well, somewhere like Whangarei with last year, you, they were at like their 20 days for consent. Now you can get a consent in like five days. There's just not the volume that's, that's going five days. through. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty quick. That would be a game changer in Auckland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, consents out there at the moment are, are flying through. Nice. And perhaps you can share some of the success stories of the clients that you've helped with a high yielding property, you know, someone that, you know, comes back to you and do more deals. Obviously, those would be pretty good stories. Yeah, yeah. Most of our clients, we try and set them up to do sort of two deals a year is and probably a third of them do that. And then in terms of that sort of recent success stories, like I say, we've got properties that yields keep increasing as we go. The most recent one that we're just in the process of transferring over to, to social housing was one that we bought in Napier. And probably just before I go into that, in terms of tips and tricks you were talking about earlier, one thing that people sort of forget is December time, and this is when we bought this one, December is probably one of the best months of the year to actually go and purchase a property because you've got Christmas that's looming. Everyone wants a good Christmas present of their, of their house being sold. And that's sort of what happened with this one was on the market. It was actually on the market for about six or seven months, initially priced at 1.7, uh, then got priced down to 1.4 and we got it under contract, I think about 1.21 off the, the top of my head. Yield on purchase price, it was close to 9%. Uh, and I think after we've transferred it and, and done what we need to do from a social housing perspective, get it up to healthy homes. We're going to be sitting up at close to 10. So that was a $1.2 million purchase. And we're going to get about 2,400 a week in rent for that one. That same client, we've just, we're about to settle another property for him in uh, end of April. And so that's another high yielding sort of land banking um, property. We're talking about Burness, are we? Yeah. Okay, so I do know this client that Hadley's talking about, but basically the client situation is that over time they've built very, very strong equity because they've held their property for, you know, more than 10 years. Like anyone hold a property for more than that time and they pay down their mortgage and they're prudent with that, they will have 
a lot of equity. And basically now the client is in this situation where, okay, I've paid down my mortgage, I can borrow a lot more money. And so they're in this position where they can just snap up multi-units left, right, center. So I think at the moment you guys are working on your third one for yeah. that client. So this is especially good for any clients that's been like, okay, I've had my property for three, four, five years, especially if, if you buy okay in Auckland, uh, there's an almost no reason why you wouldn't be able to just use the equity to purchase some cash flow property that's going to allow you to one build long-term capital gains two probably generate some cash flow and three give you a retirement plan so yeah and there's in terms of that the equity side of things too it's something that we're also finding in a number of properties as well so there was another property that we bought in napier just before that one that was four units four two-bedroom units on a, oh i love that uh, deal yeah on a cross lease section that we also got for like 1.24 and the valuation the old owner is not listening to it the uh, the valuation came back at like 1.7 yeah. Um, and How did you do that? Because normally when we do a valuation for the client, usually we have an offer on the, on the table already. We put an offer in and basically the bank will randomly be like, hey, we need a valuation. And the valuation usually just comes back 10 or 20,000 above the purchase price. How did you get a valuation that came back significantly above the purchase price? Uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm not 100%. We've got a great valuer. Because um, the same thing happened last week with a client that we went, one of your clients that we went unconditional with. Yes. There was the purchase price and the valuation came back like 15 grand more. And the, the client was like, well, this is ridiculous. I thought we bought better than that. I was like, well, we, we have. It just generally tends to be that valuers see a sale and purchase agreement and go, right, cool, we'll add a bit of money to that. And that's just generally how it works. This one here, I don't think the valuer saw the sale and purchase agreement. So that's the trick right there. Yeah. If, <laughs> if you get away with not telling them the, the price or the, or the sale and purchase agreement, happy days. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise it just gives you a reference point, right? And at the I end really of, think it's backwards though. Like that 100%. they they get to see the sales and purchase and just value it based on the sales and purchase. Like what's the point? Like, I don't know. And the bank always just be like, oh yeah, we just need a, you know, just spend a thousand bucks to get this valuation. So it's one of the, the crazy things. Like, and then you look at the comparables and you go, well, I've had many arguments with valuers around that. It's like, well, you guys have got a property in Hastings and comparing it with a, a property on Napier Hill, which is 20 Ks away, not even in the same suburb that sold 18 months or 12 months ago. How do you compare the two? Because they're, they're not even close. It's been interesting with buying the properties that we've bought down there recently and then knowing what the sort of valuations have come back as and they're seeing other properties that are being used and, and those have been comparables to them. But yeah, it's an interesting, uh, interesting sort of situation. Maybe Hadley's just playing dumb, but we'll, we'll let him pass. It might be a trade secret here. All right. So my last question for you, perhaps someone who is newer to property investing, uh, what advice do you have for them and how should they get started to have successful investing journey? I think the biggest thing is, is, is don't get yourself caught up in analysis paralysis. So, you know, set out what your buying rules are, you know what you can buy. And then, you know, if you've got, once you get your specific market or markets and you know them well, and something comes up, put an offer on the on the property because otherwise we can sit there and go right cool this might happen that might happen we might be able to do this we might not and then you've wasted a week and the property's gone because properties are still moving at the moment it's about getting really clear on what you want and then going right cool as soon as something comes up 
we're going to put an offer on it. If we miss out, we miss out. But at least we know we didn't miss out because we sat there on our hands and, and couldn't decide. So like things like rental appraisals, things like you get a rough, if you haven't got a rental appraisal, jump on Trade Me and have a look what the other properties in the area are renting for. And that's going to give you a rough guide as to what you can do for your numbers. If you're not sure about something on the district plan and you can't find it, we need to go and talk to a planner and you can't talk to them. You know, with the clauses that you have a chat to your, your lawyer about, you know, get that stuff sorted once you've got the property under DD, under contract at the price that you know. Then you've got firm numbers. Otherwise, we talk about hypothetical stuff that, that sort of may or may not happen. And opportunity slips when when we let that because someone that's come in strong and confident has, you know, taken the place. And I think that's the other thing at the moment with the market and that we're saying to clients, look, if we're going to put an offer on this, we just need to be strong and confident in terms of what we're doing. So that when we ring the agent, we can go, hey, look, cool, clients offer, this is where we're going to go, this is our plan, this is what we're doing. Is your vendor happy with that? Yeah. Um, how can we get a deal together? And it, it's things like that when you exude that confidence, because there's not tons of buyers in the market, but it just gives that the agent or the person on the other end going, okay, these, these, guys, are, these guys are serious. They want to get a deal done rather than, oh, yeah, we're just going to think about it for a few days. We'll see what happens. And just let me run my spreadsheet another four times and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Get some firm numbers and then make some firm decisions once you've got the firm numbers because you don't necessarily have to buy it. Well, you don't have to buy it once it's under contract. I definitely second what Hallie is saying there because I do see clients, the number one struggle is just deciding exactly why you're doing it. What are you doing and sort of how are you going to make your decision? Because if you don't have that right from the beginning, someone could bring like the best deal, put it in front of you. You still don't know how to handle it because you haven't decided why and what is it that you're looking for. So that decision piece is really important. You did say something about perhaps in the beginning, they might look for a region that they're more comfortable with. What if someone is in a situation where, okay, maybe an Aucklander haven't invested in the regions before, but that's the only option they have. They, yep. they need a cash flow property that's outside of Auckland because their approval just don't have that amount. Yep. How could they go about that to build confidence? Give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. In terms of if you're going to go and uh, go and do it yourself, it's about finding those people that you gel with. So give a couple of agents a call, have a chat to them, find out who you really gel with because some of them will answer your calls, others won't. Find the people you get on with, ring the district or ring the council around the, the specific areas, jump onto to Google Maps and probably one of the best things is, is um, Street View. Mm -hmm. that you know, if you can't get to the property, yeah. uh, jump on street view, click down the street, have a look at the houses in the area, just to sort of give yourself a, a little bit of confidence. Yeah. Um, especially now when you don't have to fly there to go and see what the street looks like, use a bit of technology. It might be a few months old. Ask your mortgage broker, ask your accountant if they've got any contacts in those other areas as well that you can talk to. And it's really just about you know building out that network and using the network that you've already got to help you out along the way. Uh, that's probably the best advice for that. We really appreciate your time today, Hadley, and thank you for coming on to share your wisdom. Of course, if you guys want to reach out, you guys can just find Hadley on his website. If you Google New Zealand Property Buyers Hadley, and you'll be able to just find them there. And obviously, we a lot of our clients work through Hadley, and there are a lot of results that we've, we've had in the past, a lot of success. But we just want to keep our business separate. Because otherwise, uh, there might be some buy. Uh, there, there might be some conflict of interest. But um, yeah, certainly, I, I definitely can uh, vouch for a Hadley service because I've experienced it myself. So, if you guys want to learn more about properties, obviously, we've got the YouTube channel, uh, Mortgage HQ. And until next time, we'll see you guys again. Thank you, Hadley. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate it.